It's the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Coob here with my partners, Marcus and the Darkest Goldman. I never call you Marcus Goldman or Mark or anything but <laughs> Marcus and the Darkest. <laughs> and, buddy, we've talked about this for a while. We've been wanting to go back to Jamaica. So let's get on that Jamaica, man. We're going back to talk about toots and uh, metals. The funny thing, Marcus, is that most people think of Bob Marley as the beginning of reggae. And Bob Marley and Toots and the Maytals were all there, along with some other artists there, around the same time at the beginning of reggae. But it was actually Toots and the Maytals who led the way early on, had big hits, and we'll get into the details of it. And they coined the term reggae, all part of this episode of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I like it when we go to Jamaica. I think we both enjoy Jamaica very much. Not only do they have fantastic coffee, fantastic food, beautiful water, wonderful people, but the flower is top-notch there, so yes. To give people a time reference for us recording this episode, yesterday I read that for the first time, it has to be the first time in the history of the island, that there's a weed shortage in Jamaica. Yeah, I read that over the weekend. And, and it's actually partially due to farming conditions, but my first thought was, well, that's what'll happen when you make the shit legal in a country that's spread it all over the world, right? <laughs> Before we started, you were thinking about some particular part of Toots and the Maytals and their history. Well, not just one particular part. I think uh, there are a few things that you mentioned, like Bob Marley. Everybody thinks of Bob Marley, but two people that are going to come into the conversation here as well as they did when we went to Jamaica the first time, Coxone Dodd and Lee Scratch Perry, because they've been involved with everybody. Bob Marley, Toots and the Maytals, the Scatolites, Peter Tosh, you know, Uroy, all of them have been touched by Coxone Dodd and Lee Scratch Perry in some way. But Toots and the Maytals were really, like you said at the beginning, groundbreakers, movers and shakers. And they did coin the term reggae, which we will get into. But first, let's go to 1942, December 8th. A little boy was born, the youngest of seven. His mama midwife passed away when he was eight. His dad passed away a few years later. So he had to move in with his older brother, Frederick Nathaniel Hibbert, who his older brother John called Little Toots, got a job at a barber shop where he met Jerry Mathias and Raleigh Gordon. And there they formed the Maytals. And like many other performers in Jamaica at that time with the ska and the Rocksteady getting moving, they were performing at places at night while doing their day jobs. And then, of course, in 1962, Coxone Dodd saw them playing and got them to record right away. And that was the year of Jamaican independence. So it's it's like all of these things are falling into place at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that's exactly what was happening. Jamaica was finding itself. One of the things that helped Jamaica to find itself was the music man. And we've talked a lot about ska and how it's stayed with us through the decades and through the generations. But there it was at its second phase, the original phase of the 50s coming into the 60s, and Toots and the Maytals started out as just the Maytals, and just like the Whalers, they were a vocal group, they were a vocal trio, they didn't become Toots and the Maytals and become a band 
till later. And that's a whole another part of our story. So there at the beginning, you have the Maytals performing, you have the Whalers performing, and we're talking about the original Whalers as well, all together. And you kind of think about that time. You were talking about what it must have been like to be alive in the world when the Beatles were taking off. All I wonder sometimes is, what was it like to be in Jamaica and to be of age, to be old enough to appreciate it in 62, 3, and 4, when all this wonderful, luscious music was happening against the background of independence? It must have been an unbelievable atmosphere. Oh, I'm sure the excitement was just beyond electric at that time in Jamaica. And I'm sure the clubs were full of dancing and celebrating. Rocksteady was gaining momentum as far as music goes and really starting to gather an audience. And it was also starting to spread a little bit to some of the other uh, British colonies as well. Not at yeah. the level that it did in the late 60s. And but going back to the UK too. You yeah. Know, that, that's the other thing because what we talked about in uh, Jamaica Bound and in the two-tone episode as well was people from all over the British Empire going to England and that was one of the reasons why a lot of the music of the so-called British Empire see I didn't do the finger quotes mm-hmm. <laughs> was music of the islands music of India music of all over the world would come to England because the people from those places had gone to live in UK and uh, that's all part of the story and also many of the British musicians had family members that were diplomats so they spent time overseas and some of these kids like John Meller of the class, Joe Strummer, you know, they were born in uh, India or, you know, another part of the British colony. So they lived overseas. So they heard some of this music as well. And it exp- and brought it home. Yep. Yeah. And, and it explains uh, the Beatles' love for the Indian music as well. Think about it that does. as part of the colony at one point. So all these ties and all these connections, pretty incredible and pretty impressive. And it shows you how much world music has played in the uh, influences in the 60s, 70s. 70s moving forward. Moving all the way forward, Marcus, it seems like every other day when we converse, and we could talk almost every day, mm-hmm. that part of the conversation is about, hey, did you hear about so-and-so passed away from the COVID? You know, whether it's somebody we know, somebody we know's parents, or a celebrity. And sadly, that's what happened on 9-11-2020. We lost Toots Hibbert, who we had heard been sick. We heard that he had COVID. And there he was in his home country of Jamaica, fortunately, as he passed to the other side to see Ja and all the others. Now, whatever you believe in your spiritual world, Toots Hibbert was part of it. He led a revolution musically, helped to start the spark that led to ska, blue beat, rock steady. And eventually, they learned to do the reggae. 1968, that single, Do the Reggae, was spelled differently with a Y instead of an E on the end, is considered widely to be the first reggae record, the first mention of reggae. And boy, did it spread from there.
Now, you mentioned the term reggae, and you also talked about ska, rock, steady, blue beat, and boogie yeah, beat. There was a lot of slang in Jamaica at the time. I think one of the very great things about reggae is, is that the people of Jamaica named the music and not the labels or the corporate people and which happens far too often as you're well aware you know absolutely we see it everywhere but the people of jamaica were very into slang at that time and so if somebody, marcus yeah. i, I want to say since the beginning of time and today slang is yeah. part of the patois true it's part of the it's part of the lingo it's part of the language it's the way life flows it's the way communication flows so it's not just then yeah, always true true slang terms work themselves into the everyday yeah. and that's not just true in jamaica that's true slang everywhere we, we use a lot of we slang. got that john right here in philadelphia <laughs> but in jamaica if somebody looked like raggedy or schleppy or sort of messy they called it strege and then toots hibbard when he wrote do the reggae just shortened it and that's where the reggae came from is shortening strege, which is slang it's all for slang. schleppy really? or messy or raggedy or beat up or whatever. But do we know when the Y became the E? I do not know when or how the Y became the E because yeah, do the reggae is R E G G A Y. But they scored a hit, and that was the song that really started making noise. Like you said, the Whalers were a vocal group, and their sound was a lot more of a hard ska sound at that point versus a reggae sound, which it evolved into more of a reggae sound at the end of the 60s, early 70s, even after yeah. Bob Marley spent a little time in Delaware. I think there's more to that. When we do a deeper dig into Marley, I think we'll find there's more to the effect there than we realize. There's also something else that comes in to play as the music continues to develop and evolve there in Jamaica. The infusion increasingly so of weed, of marijuana, of the chalice, of the toasting, all starts to influence things. And if you think about it, ska is kind of like the predecessor, sure, but reggae is like ska all stoned out. Mm -hmm. it, it slows it down. Like you've emphasized in our Jamaica Bound episode, the way that the beats change and the emphasis change for both the beats and the guitars mm -hmm. is how we get to the sound. But the sound didn't just pop up in 1968 when Toots came up with it. If you think about it, this goes back to, I don't know, the beginning of the Maytals, you know? Mm-hmm. And the Maytals had a little bit of a soul groove mixed in with their reggae ska sound at that time. And then yes. you have to look at the Rastafarian religion, which they believe, the Rastafarians, that they are the lost tribe of Israel. And and who am I to question them? Cannabis is a big part of the culture for religious and spiritual reasons as well as health reasons. So it maybe explains why there's more of a chill stoner groove to the reggae sound. It's very relaxed island-like, but feel good. You gotta go back to the earlier days to find it. We found it in the roots music of the Scottalites and the, the Ethiopians and the Jamaicans and the other groups. But you know, the music of the Maytals and the Whalers, if you listen to the early stuff, especially the Whalers, you, people are surprised when they go back to those early Bob Marley records and the collections and whatnot mm -hmm. and find how much similarity there was between groups like the Maytals and the Whalers. And Pressure Drop is a perfect example. It's one of those 
definitive songs of Jamaican music. Monkey Man, the original Monkey Man. Ay, ay, ay. Ay, ay, ay. Can't get it out of your head. As soon as you hear those words, that little riff, you can't get it out of your head. Your brain is already dancing, dude. The specials do a great cover of Monkey Man on their oh, debut yeah. it record. Helped set, yep. It helped to set off the two-tone revolution, that one track. Absolutely. And then, you know, you mentioned Pressure Drop, and we've heard so many bands cover it. The Clash, Joe Jackson, Izzy Stradlin, and the Juju Hounds all covered Pressure Drop, and so many others that we've heard over the years. It's one of those songs that is a game changer in the Jamaican music and helping it push to the mainstream. That's why I think more people know about Marley and some of the other people that were more a part of the mainstream move by reggae into the 70s. And that's a whole episode, man. Through all this, you know, Chris Blackwell was there at the beginning. He loved the Maytals. He loved them. Oh, yeah. He was huge on the Maytals. And again, we've mentioned Chris Blackwell a few times. We also forgot to mention that in 1967, Toot spent nine months in jail for marijuana possession. You know, the man would come. That's where uh, Sheriff John Brown got himself shot down over. I mean, people would come and look for trouble. Mm-hmm. You went up into the mountains looking for marijuana grow. You were looking for trouble because that's where the gangster part of the image of the Rastas came from. They mm-hmm. were just protecting what was theirs. They saw it as protecting of their, their sacrament. Absolutely. And that's where a lot of the trouble came between the government and the people of Jamaica. I would say independence helped to solve that because the laws started to 
change a little bit, and the attitudes reflected what was really in the country, not what the British crown said should be the attitude in the country. But this is all important because it's behind what's going on with three guys named Toots, Raleigh, and Jerry. They signed Island Records, Surprisingly, I know you, you're shocked, but Chris Blackwell was there. He, he felt it It was all around him as a young man, and he knew that these guys had what it was that he was looking for. Chris Blackwell had such an incredible ear for talent, and he was such a visionary that his ability to share this wonderful, soulful music with the rest of the world, it really changed everything. We know Eric Clapton was hugely influenced by the ska and the reggae sounds. We also know that Joe Strummer was. We know Joe Jackson was. We know so many musicians were. And you hear it, the police, you hear it in their sound. So those are just a few really more well-known bands that we can talk about, but there's so many. And it keeps coming back in little phases and then you hear it fused in with different aspects of rock and roll and one of the things that I like about the Island Sound is not only do they have great groovy guitars and they make you move but the horn section really plays an important part of the music. I think it had more of a role especially in the ska music because it helped to propel the sound where in reggae it's more of an additional layback. I don't know what they do with their horns that's different but Well, there at the beginning, we mentioned Chris Blackwell and Island Records, and we mentioned Coxone, but there they are. After their sign, recording their first discs at Studio One, it's their first success. And who do you think the house band was there? Who do you think was playing behind them since they were just a vocal trio? Scatolites. Yep. And they were very, very (laughs) closely uh, tied to Coxone, especially early on there, because, you know, he he gave them a lot of work recording. (laughs) They were like the wrecking crew of Jamaica at that time, playing behind all the vocal groups. At the beginning, they were. It didn't stay that way, but yeah, they were. And then uh, Toots and the guy start uh, working with Prince Buster, another Mm -hmm. up-and-comer in the 60s. And somewhere in there, they start to float in their different directions. I think it was when he was working with Leslie Kong, who was a Chinese-Jamaican producer. That's a funky combo. And right around that time, he realized that they needed a band and that he was the focus. Uh, They had just changed their name to Toots and the Maytals. And some of their biggest success came right after that. We talked about Monkey Man, 1970. It was an international hit within a year, and that's uh, what led to them signing the long-term contract with Island Records. They had become the biggest act in Jamaica, and he was all in on Jamaican music. That song really sparked what was to come. It wasn't the first step. It wasn't the first thing that they did or he did or any of that, but it really helped to turn a corner for Island Records with the Island Music. And then what happens next is being included in the movie The Harder They Come, which was also large for Jimmy Cliff. And I'm just saying that these are the things that start to happen. And all of a sudden, Jamaica is starting to get on people's radar the music, the culture, and it becomes even more popular. You know, the climate, who can argue with the climate there, especially in the winter, right? But it became even more popular as a tourist destination. I'm glad you mentioned uh, The Harder They Come because at the very beginning when Jimmy Cliff walks into that record studio, the right? the musicians that are recording are Toots and the Maytals. That's Toots and Company. Yeah, man. It's all there. And that movie, we've talked 
about it on the Island episode, and I think it's been mentioned a few times here and there throughout our recordings, but that movie is so important. I highly recommend you watch it if you get a chance to see it. The soundtrack is remarkable, and it really gives you a feel for the whole aspect of what was going on in Jamaica at that time between the ska, the reggae, the rock steady, the blue beat, all of it. And Jimmy Cliff is pretty awesome in that movie. It's one of his major jumping on points, the movie, The Harder They Come, mm-hmm. and a great soundtrack, too. I mentioned making the move to work with Leslie Kong, and that's where they would do do the reggae and a lot of their other big hits that would come. The last thing you think when you're working with one of the hottest producers in the world and he's in his mid-30s is that he's going to die. But that's what happened. Leslie Kong had a heart attack. And so they tried to carry on with his mix guy, his uh, studio engineer, and they did that for a while. But can you imagine you're on fire and your producer who's helping you to capture all this amazing energy in the studio boom suddenly he's gone at 37 his guy was Warwick Lynn and then they started working with uh, Byron Lee and he's the one who actually renamed them as Toots and the Maytals before that they were just the Maytals and that's when they had some big selling albums I think the stage was set and Funky Kingston man reggae got soul baby I was reading somewhere, and I can't remember who said this, but they called him uh, the Otis Redding of the Islands because he had that reggae ska vibe, but boy, did he pack a soul punch to his vocals. Reggae got soul, baby. might have been Blackwell. I think that might have been Blackwell. It might have been Blackwell. I wouldn't be surprised. And we'll talk about this when we get to the later part of his years, but Zach Starkey produced his final record. What? And he said some pretty interesting things that were mind-blowing about Toots and the Maytals as well. Before we get to that, they have to get the opening gig for The Who in North America, 1975-76 tour. And you think that did something for him, Marcus? On the heels of Reggae Got Soul? It had to. It helped to spur their popularity throughout the United States and Canada, of course. And it really led to a lot of the kids in the punk trenches, like we talked about, learning about pressure 
Pressure Drop and other songs, Monkey Man, making that part of their thing and all that, connecting to the two-tone crowd, really starts to show some continuous activity, some continuity for the music of Jamaica. It starts to find its way into other cultures and integrate and, and take some stuff back, too. If you think about some of the things that happen in Jamaican culture later with house music and dance hall and things like that, they took a little bit back, but they've mm-hmm. given us so much. So. They have. So that's kind of how the stage gets set for Toots and the Maytals. All the twists and turns it takes, adversity and whatnot, takes you a lot to get to the point where the world is paying attention. And they overcame all that stuff right there in the middle of the 1970s, a long time ago in a galaxy far away. But it's never too far away or too long mm-hmm. of a ride to get to Hapro yeah. so we can go to Crooked Eye and have a pint. ESB's on tap, brother. Let's go. Well, we're bouncing into the new year, and there's always a lot going on at Crooked Eye Brewery right there in the heart of Hapro, York and Montgomery. A great place to go and get the finest brews in the Philadelphia area. Right, Marcus? Yes, they are. And if you like a dark beer, this is the season for something like their Black Eyed Stout. Fantastic. My favorite of all their beers, even though I've tried many of them. Go right into the brew pub right there in the heart of Hatboro and see what's on the board. Take a taste of the stout or anything else and uh, take some home with you, even if you're staying for a pint. And the entertainment's coming back, too. Tony Washington and the Tuesday Night Blues Jam has been starting to happen again. A lot more things happening in real time live in the pub and also sent out via the uh, the Facebook page for Crooked Eye Brewery. Live entertainment returning to Crooked Eye as we get closer and closer to full normal resume at some point. And whatever's going on with that, you can find out on their social media, especially on Facebook, Crooked Eye Brewery. A great place, a neighborhood joint, so to speak. Hepro, you're so lucky because you can just take a walk over anytime and grab a pint of Crooked Eye. I'm jealous. I got to drive. <laughs> <laughs> and if you mention the imbalanced history of rock and roll, you get a free 10-ouncer. It's like a big taster. Hello, may I please have my free 10-ouncer because I listen to the imbalanced history of rock and roll. And we thank Crooked Eye Brewery for their support. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Back on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, we're in Jamaica, we're having a red stripe, trying to set a Guinness Book of World Records for how fast we can make and release an album. Is that right? (laughs) That is correct. I saw that when I was doing some research, and I was like, what? Who the fuck thought of that is what I want to know. Anyway, here's how it started. September 29th, 1980, my dad's birthday. The band recorded, pressed, and distributed their new album. It was called Toots Live. I think that was probably the smart thing if you were going to try to do this in a 24-hour period to satisfy the Guinness people because you could record a tape, and then you're already way ahead of the game. Everything's recorded, right? So they recorded it on two-inch reels, and then they rushed it by van to the sound engineers. They figured out what song was going to be when. I don't know how you do that when you're in the van driving over. Maybe they just had it all written down, because this is definitely pure analog here. So what they did was quickly, they got in the studio, started laying out the album and doing the mix stuff that they had to do. It was 24-track, you know, mobile recording. So they're working on that, and while they're working on that, the record label is already uh, designing and printing the covers and everything that was going to be needed. So all that stuff had to be done, and then the album had to be mastered, the labels, the outer covers, and they all had to be rushed to the factory in Leicester, so that they could be pressed and put out all within 24 hours. And guess what? They made it. However, they didn't know that they had to notify the Guinness people in advance when you were going to make an attempt at a world record. So (laughs) there were no Guinness people there to observe and verify and all that kind of stuff. And there was no way that they could follow the possible procedures. So even though they did it and made a live album in under 24 hours and put it in the bins, they didn't get credit for it. And Chris Blackwell delivered the copies of the record to the record shops personally in his Mini Cooper. Can't get a lot in a Mini Cooper. I'll bet you there wasn't room for a second person in the car. <laughs> That's dedication, man. Blackwell, if you're listening, kudos to you yes. for filling the Cooper. And if you have any other stories of crazy things like that you did, we would love to know what they are. That was a pretty exciting way to start the 80s for a band who kicked off the 60s in Jamaican music and culture, right? Very much so. So you might be surprised when they broke up after all that. They did 1981's album Knockout, had a number one single in New Zealand, whatever that means in the world of rock and roll. <laughs> we have a lot of listeners in New Zealand, so you know you guys love Toots and the Maytals, probably even today, a song called Beautiful Woman. Yes, she's Oh, 
Uh, Toots didn't give up. He kept going, doing solo stuff through the years and continued to be a standard bearer for the Jamaican scene, the music, the culture, and the people. He outlived Peter Tosh and Bob Marley and yeah. was able to be the ambassador for the island for a decade after both of them and then some. In the 90s, he assembled a new version of the Maytals, began yeah. touring, started recording again. So he was very, very into it. And, you know, even though they reformed in the 90s, they waited until 97 to record an album, which had been like 16 years between wow. albums for Toots and the Maytals. But he remained active and was very passionate about his music, which you hear and you feel in all of his songs. Through it all, the songs and the delivery of them continue to be the influence that Toots Hibbert and the Maytals have had on the world. And here's a good encapsulation of the song Pressure Drop, which gets me right here, Marcus, right here inside me. It's, it gets me to the soul because it's so damn good. It was um, a Milo Miles critic was on uh, Fresh Air and said this, quote, utterly irresistible, but utterly mysterious. Like Louie Louie or Tutti Fruity, it gets over on pure passion and it's seems all you need to know is when it drops, you're going to feel it, end quote. That's it, man. Yep. When it drops, you know you're going to feel it. And that's a great way to describe it, too, because didn't Toots do Louie Louie in he, the uh, 80s? He did a version of it and had a hit record. He did a cover of uh, John Denver's Country Road, and he Jamaica that version out yes, pretty he, rad as yeah. well. And I was listening to that as we prepped for it. But as far as Pressure Drop goes, I was reading about the making of that song, about uh, Toots writing the song, and he said that this was a song about karmic justice, a song about revenge, but in the form of karma. If you do bad things to innocent people, then bad things will happen to you. If someone done me wrong, rather than fight them like a warrior, I'd say the pressure's gonna drop on you. That's heavy, man, for that, a song that's so lighthearted and energized. That's a deep philosophical burn on the person that's done you dirty. Huge yeah. philosophical burn, and it's a smart Keeping way. Keeping that one in my back pocket in case I need it, you know? <laughs> Powerful song, and again, done by so many people. Speaking of so many people, so many people joined them for kind of like a tribute album to us. Like, if there was an imbalance to greatest hits, tri tribute to us. And we invited all people on to give tribute to us. But the tributes were given lovingly and for real by Bonnie Raitt and Willie Nelson. You mentioned Clapton earlier. Keith Richards, Trey Anastasio from Fish, and uh, members Beck. of No Doubt, Ben Harper, our, our Philly roots, Shaggy, of course, who owes everything in his career. The Scatolites played on it. Terry but they Hall. all played on this album called True Love, and it was re-records of the early hits of the Maytals. And whew, 
there's a bunch of people who showed love, but I'm thinking Shag owes almost everything to Toots Hibbert, man. Mm -hmm. Think about the connections between that dance hall sound of Shaggy and what the Maytals were about. No kidding. And then, you know, Bootsy played on it, Bunny Whaler, you, Roy, were also on that record. So you hear the influence and you hear the effects of what their music did moving forward. I listened to a little bit of the True Love record as we were getting ready for it, and it's a beautiful album, an absolutely beautiful album. They did a reverse tribute in the 2000s uh, covering Radiohead's song Letdown for that tribute album to Radiohead called Radio Dread. It was kind of like reggae versions and ska versions of songs by Radiohead, which I think is really cool first <laughs> off, just to have done that. But for them to be involved is pretty cool. It's a nice reach. I did not listen to any of the Radio Dread music before prepping. Who has time? I wish we had time to listen to it all. Believe me, believe you, believe me. We wish we did, but I'm definitely going to check some of that out. And I'm not a huge Radiohead guy, but they've got some songs that are just incredible, and their live shows are phenomenal. Think about this. The producers had the idea to redo their most popular album, OK Computer, right, and do it in a uh, ska reggae fashion. So there's the genius in, in that project, that little journey. And I like the fact that it became something that, again, created some buzz about the music, about the Maytals, and was nominated for the 2008 Grammy in the Best Reggae Album category. Very good. All these things keep the music flowing, keep the name out there, keep people thinking about the music and the man of Toots and the Maytals. It's where we are. That's what we've got left. In 2012, the Maytals hit the road for their 50th anniversary wow. and did some touring. Just an incredible history. The fact that Toots and not only his partners, but the fact that they've been able to keep the music alive for 50 plus years says a whole hell of a lot about not only Toots and the Maytals, but about the power of the island music. And then in 2013, Toots was playing a college show kid threw a bottle on stage. Toots tried to catch the bottle, missed it. It hit him in the head. He took three years off from touring because of the injury. He suffered PTSD, memory loss, anxiety, dizziness, headaches. I was reading about that, and can you imagine, we tend to think of our music heroes as warriors. Yeah. Can you imagine the feeling you get every time you go out after that? Because he took one to the noggin. It's like when uh, people in Philly in the, in the bad old days would throw firecrackers at the stage. Yeah, It creates an anxiety that none of us realize because we had this image of people on stage and how they're impervious to everything. Well, except for the drug overdoses. That's true. But that's a traumatic thing. I don't think people realize how traumatic it is to an artist or performer when that happens. I guess because it's trivialized in movies like the Blues 
Blues Brothers where they pepper them with beer bottles because they play something other than country. But it's really traumatic. And Toots, showing his character, actually wrote a letter to the judge asking the judge to be lenient on the kid who threw the bottle because he said, I heard what they do to young boys in jails and prisons. Having been there, he also knows. He asked them not to completely ruin his life by sending him to jail for a long time. And the judge listened to his letter and gave him a light sentence, which I think was pretty rad of Toots to do. Accent on the positive, man. Accent yep. on the positive. You know who I was surprised to hear had covered Toots and the Maytals was Amy Winehouse. Her version of Monkey Man kind of got the two together a little bit, even though they didn't get to perform together. That would have been cool to have a recording forever of those two greats together singing the Monkey Man. Absolutely. And the song uh, 5446 was his prison number. I did not. I thought it was like a Jamaican phone number. Yeah, no, that was his prison ID number. But yeah, I, I was reading through that. Digging. You're digging in the backyard. Totally. I went I went totally full archaeology on this one. There's so much more to find, and there's so much more information out there. And I would love to know if there are any garage recordings of some of these artists or any old live recordings that haven't been uncovered yet, and I'd be willing to bet money that there are. I just got a note from the research team, Marcus. Yeah. Well, we have asked them during the first half and they finally got back to us cool don't take so long next time kids the term reggae spelled with an e first appeared in print in regards to the metal song do the reggae with a y in 1968 i guess it was an article or a review of it and they spelled it reggae with an e so it was that kind of almost an accidental way that it got changed to e pretty fascinating that at Typo is how we got the official spelling of a genre of music. <laughs> and that got bastardized from Strege. Which uh, he shortened Strege. Probably didn't like the way singing Strege sounded, so he shortened it to reggae. That would be my guess. Singing Strege doesn't sound like it would be very easy. So even if you're as talented as Toots. I looked it up and he had said to his friends, okay, let's just go with reggae instead of Strege. I guess, like you said, it flowed better off the tongues. We're digging in into this stuff trying to find out all kinds of things about the man and the music and that's why we're digging in the dirt in Jamaica man uh, all about uh, Toots and the Maytals by the way I don't know whether you're realizing this uh, but Toots actually played at Coachella in uh, 2017 I'm not like all locked into Coachella who did and didn't play there but you know the bill for each day over two weekends is huge so mm -hmm. I could have missed that easily but I thought that was cool that he was at Coachella as recently as four years ago did any Anybody was at Coachella as recently as four years ago is a good thing. <laughs> Hopefully they'll be they'll be getting back to that soon. And he played Glastonbury that year too. His music lives on, his influence lives on, and it's nice to see that kids are finding their parents' music and really taking it to heart and listening to it. Or
or if they're finding it on their own, that's great, too. One of his last high-profile appearances is on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, which means he was playing with The Roots when he did a song called Marley live on the show. And later in that same show, he delivered the Rootsified version of Funky Kingston. Toots and the Maytals. Busy right to the end before he got sick with COVID and we lost him last year. After he got injured in 2013, instead of not doing anything, Toots stayed busy and recorded almost every day during that time. And these songs that he developed became his final release, which was Got to Be Tough, co-produced by Zach Starkey and nominated for a Grammy as well. But the quote that stood out to me during my research by Zach Starkey was what he said about Toots, the power in his voice is beyond anyone I've ever met. And let me tell you, Zach Starkey has met a hell of a lot of people. He's met everybody and played with most of them. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like you mentioned, he passed away from COVID. And in one of his final interviews, Toots described his songs as a message of consolation, a message of salvation. If you give a song positive words, that song lives forever. So true, Marcus. So true. And so philosophically deep, but beautiful and easy to dance and groove to at the same time. Well, I don't know if the research department's going to be able to help us, Marcus, to find out how Zach and Toots ended up hooking up. But I'm going to do some looking around. Maybe in our next uh, podcast update, we can do a little look into how Toots and Zach hooked up. Because that is just one of those connections that makes you go, what? How they get together and how they end up working together. Now, I know you ramble around and I know there's connections to the who back to the 70s. But Zach was a wee lad in the 70s. Wasn't, he wasn't mixing with the grown-ups in those days, you know? Or maybe he was, and maybe that's what's going on here. So. Yeah, but yeah. there's so much rich history that goes all the way back to the birth of Jamaica and the debut of commercially available ska on a wide basis that takes us down the road through the 60s into the 70s, the move towards the rock steady, and then finally full-on reggae. It's a beautiful thing. And there in the middle of it all is a man who I always felt doesn't get enough credit. There are a ton of artists who don't get enough credit, but a man who was 
amongst the best, amongst the biggest stars of the Jamaican music culture scene from the 60s through to his passing last year. It's Toots Hibbert. Before we wrap things up, I want to share an interesting quote from Bonnie Raitt about Toots. His music is so infectious and so galvanizing and uplifting. That classic power of rhythm, it makes you want to dance. It's also very touching. He's got a tender side that comes through in his voice, like all soul singers. A lot of the other reggae voices are passionate and soulful, but I put toots in the same field as all the gospel and soul music. That melding of R&B music and reggae will be his legacy. I have to say that he's up there in the top two or three greatest soul singers of all time from the mind of the great Bonnie Raitt, who's seen a few great singers in her day. Not to mention that she's pretty powerful, too. <laughs> it's a pretty uh, powerful quote and a right-on description of Toots and his voice. And while I was looking for the connection to Zach Starkey, I found this little nugget. Toots and the Maytals have created a timeless, evergreen, original sound which will forever resonate with all people of all ages and all races. That's Zach Starkey on Toots Hibbert. And you know what Toots says about all this stuff? I live to sing. I have to sing. The essence of a man. Toots Hibbert. Toots and the Maytals on the Imbalance History. It's not our longest journey, Marcus, but I'll tell you what. This has been a real learning experience about a guy that I felt like I knew a lot. I learned more on my own. You've taught me about a couple things here today that I never knew about. And we continue to learn as we do this podcast. And we'd love your input. If there's anything about Toots and the Maytals that you know and love, uh, maybe it's just certain music, reach out and touch us on the email. It's imbalancehistory at gmail.com. A good way to reach out to us anytime. And of course, social media is out there. We're on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter. You can find us on all those things. Just search us, find us, and follow us. And if you've shared any interactions with Toots and the Maytals, please send us an email and let us know that you've had some sort of interaction with him at some point. Love to hear those stories because I bet he's an amazing human being. Someday I'm going to get into a deep trance and I'm going to go back to the 80s and I'm going to remember the night that I saw him. But I think I saw Toots and the Maytals in the 80s at the Chestnut Cabaret. I think. But I'm pretty sure I saw them once. I can't say for sure. I didn't keep track. I didn't keep all my ticket stubs on a, a nice orderly file folder or anything of that shit. I just experienced what I experienced. And sometimes you don't remember at all. That's true. Sometimes things happen. Yeah, man. So let's wrap it up here and uh, give all thanks and praises to Jaman and to the great Toots Hibbert, who sadly we lost to COVID. Uh, we talked about him during our big middle finger to 2020. Toots and the Maytals. Good stuff. Well, buddy, we continue to operate via Skype, but one of these days, even though we run into each other at the radio station, one of these days we're going to sit here in the Soul Kitchen studios or there in the Magic Bag House of Rock and do it together. Can't it's wait. It's good to see you, and it's always great to talk about the music that we both love so much. It's always great to see you as well, and I love being able to research and share knowledge because I always learn a few things from you as well, and learning about Toots and the Maytals and the other connections throughout the islands. It's pretty fun. It's a lot of fun. So let's let Toots and the Maytals play us out with a little pressure drop. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest Goldman. And you are listening to the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 